All right, everybody, welcome back to Millennial Sales Podcast. This is your host, Tommy Tahoe Alemo. Um, really excited for this week's show. Got an interview with Marcus Chan. Um, I put out a little bit of a Batman signal signal uh, a few weeks ago, looking for guests. Who are the best people in sales that I should be talking to? Sales leaders, sales performers, sales consultants, whatever it might be. And uh, Marcus Chan got tagged a bunch of times. So people really want to hear what he has to say. They really dig his content. And what a wide-ranging conversation this was. We started talking about his really unique background, coming from two uh, Chinese immigrant parents. Uh, he grew up you know, working at their restaurant, working you know, as a full-time job, 50 hours a week when he was probably six or seven years old. And just the, the discipline and hard work uh, and humility that that built into him. And we talk about personal development. What does he do in the mornings? You know, what, why reading a Tony Robbins book absolutely changed his life, how he optimizes for the maximum effect that he can from his life from when he wakes up at 5 a.m. to goes to sleep at 10 p.m. I mean, he's super disciplined. Uh, he's really kind of the, the poster child for trying to be efficient and trying to get things done and trying to, you know, be your best, most optimal self. So I found that to be really inspiring. Um, and then we get towards the end here, uh, last 15, 20 minutes, we get really tactical for the sales folks. Um, how do you get promoted? He got promoted 10 times in 10 years. So we lay out a very specific plan for how you can do that. Some other tips for salespeople. So I think you're really going to enjoy this episode uh, Marcus went from selling Speedos to seven-figure deals, uh, in his own words, and now he is the founder and president of Venley Consulting. So um, if you like what you heard, real quick, I'd love for you to leave a review, subscribe wherever you're listening, if it's YouTube, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is. Um, tell a friend. You can find me on social media at Tommy Tahoe on Twitter and Instagram. Add me at Tom Alamo on LinkedIn. Um, otherwise, hope you really enjoy this episode. We're going to break it down with my friend, Marcus Chan. All right, Marcus Chan, welcome to Millennial Sales, man. Good morning. How you doing? Hey, good morning. Good morning. I'm happy to be here up the I-5 to chat with you, my man. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, so I put out you know, a call to uh, my network on LinkedIn when I picked this podcast back up. Who should I have on? Who's an expert at sales? Who do the people want to hear from? And I haven't counted, but you were probably the most tagged person on that post. Probably five or six different people said, hey, you got to have Marcus Chan on. He's the guy. He's the guy that we want to hear from. So I'm excited to chat with you. Hey, I appreciate that, right? It's probably because I paid them all off, but you know, it, it worked, it worked. So now I'm here. Now I'm just kidding. I'm, I feel very fortunate to be here. Yeah, it's a good investment. Um, well, I'm excited to to talk through this with you, and, and I really want to I want to take it back to the beginning. You've got such an interesting uh, come up story, right? Um, you know, coming from you know uh, two parents that are, are Chinese immigrants. You know, they they own a restaurant. You know, you're working, you know, hundred hour weeks in the restaurant as oh, a kid, nuts. you know, yeah. full time. So I, I'd love for you to just kind of share that background with people. Like, what was childhood like for you? Yeah, you know, and I think it's um, you know, I think at the time. You know, I look back at my childhood, <clears throat> growing up, I probably did not really appreciate it. I mean, I know I didn't. I didn't appreciate it, right? As you're older, you respect the lessons that come from it, right? So uh, to kind of delve into, you know, my parents, they immigrated to, uh, to America in the uh, late 70s, right? Um, they were escaping communism. They were escaping the Cultural Revolution. They were escaping putting in, uh, getting put in education camps during the Cultural Revolution. So there, there's a lot that was going on. So they came to America with absolutely nothing. So what they did was they started a restaurant. Now, being very, very poor and starting a restaurant, growing up, you know, once I was born, every family member pitched in. That was normal. It, it, it wasn't a choice, right? So it's kind of like, hey, you're five, you're of working age. Like, you, <laughs> you, you can do something now, right? And it wasn't even crazy, you know, like, it's like, hey, pour water glasses, right? Hey, go and like, just like, just like clean up dishes, pick up dishes. And over time, as you do more and more, growing up, that's just what I did. We worked in the restaurant, the front of the house, working with customers to the back of the house, in the, you know, in the kitchen, chopping vegetables, whatever we could do based off our height, if you will. You know, yeah, like yeah, you yeah, couldn't see over the yeah. edge, you can't wish chop vegetables, right? So right. you could do whatever you could do, right? But it, the thing was, is um, at the time as a kid, I didn't appreciate that, right? 
And uh, because, you know, you're like, I want to go play. I want to go play, you know, um, you know, after school, many kids would go and play and do whatever. I would go to the restaurant and I'd go to the restaurant and I'd help out and I'd work, right? And if I wasn't working, I would be doing homework in the back office or in the front office. And that was normal. That was just part of my childhood growing up. And uh, as I got older, you know, like I saw more and more like how a lot of kids would go do kid things. And that was different mm-hmm. for me, right? Like when they say, hey, what are you doing this weekend? I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll be working at a festival. Like working at a festival, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I'm going to go, like it's a big festival. There's like 100,000 people there. I'm going to be like, you know, cooking chicken in the back. They're like, you're seven. Like, <laughs> we're going to go play basketball and play video games. Like, what are you doing? <clears throat> like, but to me, I'm like, I'd love to do that. But that wasn't, that wasn't really an option, right? So growing up, that's part of what it was. We all pitched in. You know, we had goals. We had to basically survive, right? We had to survive to the point of being able to eventually thrive, but to start with learning how to pitch in and work together. So, that, so those things were just part of my normal childhood growing up that I got instilled at a very young age. So I've always been very kin, always putting the work in and always being on. There was no off time. It was always being on, you know, regardless of whatever it was. And that helped me, of course, down the road in corporate jobs and corporation. People are working their 40-hour work weeks, which I think it's great. But for me, it was like I was doing that as a kid. Like to right. me, working more hours wasn't really a thing. Not that I say everyone should go work 100-hour work. I'm not saying that. But really what I'm saying is it's your choice. Whatever you want in life, you got to go get it, right? And I just learned as an early age, my parents had – they knew in, in when they were in China and Taiwan, they didn't have the same opportunities. They knew that while out there, like, they could bust their tails and they will be stuck. But in America, they knew no matter where they started, their circumstances don't determine where they go, uh, only where they start. So they knew that. And they persevered through that. And I saw that. And so for me, I've really taken that same value and I brought it home and I've carried it, I've carried it my whole life as a result. So that's how I'm wired. I don't think everyone should be like that, but that's what I saw growing up. And that's what's, what's made me who I am today is a big part of my parents. And was that, was that mindset, was that, you know, explicitly stated like, Hey, you know, we're in America, you can do, you can be whoever you want. You're not defined by your circumstances. Um, or was it more so like, did, was that a conversation you had with your parents or is it more so, Hey, I, I can kind of put two and two together. I can read the tea leaves that, um, you know, we let, you know, our, our family left, uh, China and we came here and, you know, I'm seeing all the work that my parents are doing and the work that our whole family is doing. And like, I want to, I want that that's driving me to be successful in whatever endeavor I choose. Yeah. You know, I wish I could say yes. I wish it was that simple. Right. Um, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with a lot of, a lot of like Chinese culture where, you know, there, and this is where it could be also really dangerous too, where I've seen it work, work the opposite. Uh, in Chinese culture, typically um, it's not uncommon for when you achieve something that your parents push you to do more. It's not uncommon. Right. Um, so if, for example, if I got a B in school, they'd be like, why didn't you get an A? Right. If I got an A, why didn't you get an A plus? If I got an A plus, why didn't you get more A pluses? Right. <laughs> so it was always, always a pushing to do more, which can be good or bad. That can be really tough on kids growing up. And that was tough growing up. It really was. You know, like my sisters struggled with that for sure. That was really tough for them. They didn't handle it the same way I did. Me, it pushed me more. It pushed me more. Right. So for me, I'm like, dang, I guess you're right. I could do more. Right. But on top of that, by seeing my parents, like, by putting the two and two together, by seeing them do that and persevere through, it made me realize, you know, I, I can do more, right? But it was never, for them, you know, they never had that same message. You can do anything you want in life. That was never like, that was never their style. It was more so like, it's like, you need to put in 100% and like, look from, look at where we came from. Like, we didn't have a choice. You have a choice. You have an opportunity. You need to do your best and be the best. And, and early on, especially as a kid, it was more so in the 80s versus uh, as I got a little bit older, but uh, early on the eighties, I mean, there's still tons of racism out t- uh, today. It was very rampant as well back then. And w- where I grew up, it was a predominantly white town. So growing up, I mean, we were, we, we stood out as a family and it wasn't uncommon for racist things to happen to my parents. So my parents, you know, they were ingrained early on that people are going to be racist towards them. So they must always treat everyone with respect. But more importantly, mm. what they always taught me, they would tell me like literally like at an early age, they say, they literally say, Marcus, you need to show people that you are the absolute best in everything you do. 
Like simply put, you cannot be lesser than anybody else because they're going to look at you less because you are Chinese. You are, I mean, you were born here, but you look different. And because of that, you will be at disadvantage. So people are going to judge you. So you must show them you are equal, if not greater, every single thing that you do, do not give them a chance to bring you down. Right. And that was a powerful message. And it was more of a survival message, what it was versus a thriving message. Right. So and I took it to heart where right? I'm like, okay, you know what? Like whatever I do, then I must give a hundred percent. I must, I may not be the best, but I can at least give it a hundred percent. And that was really important. And then, you know, even growing up though, it's, it's easy to say for sure. But as a kid, when you run the obstacles and when things are hard, you know, they really help push me through the obstacles right? Like when I, cause I grew up with a speech impediment and I had trouble speaking and people thought I was slow growing up. I was put in a speech impediment, class, uh, speech therapy classes at a very early age. I wanted to quit those. I really wanted to quit those, but they pushed me to go through Cause obviously it's important and I'm glad they did. It made me, uh, made me better for today. When I was struggling in sports, they pushed me to keep going to get better, right? Even when I was the worst and that helped me develop that thick skin and that, and that ability to persevere through that grit. So those are things that they helped me early on that at the time as a kid, I freaking hate it, right? I think most kids do. But as an adult who's able to reflect back and think, wow, holy crap, those lessons they taught me early on, I only hope I can be, you know, be still these same values to my kid down the road. That's what I hope. Yeah. So, Yeah. How how often do you think about that? Like if you're having a hard day or a hard week, like you just kind of like visualize in your mind what it was like back then and what your parents might have been going through and just how, how much of a struggle that is, or is it just so much a part of you right now that it's just in your DNA and you're just you're just grinding and you're just moving forward, or is it something you actively reflect on a lot? Yeah, I, th I definitely have to actually reflect on it, right? Because just like every human being, right? Like, <clears throat> I have bad days, you have bad days, we have bad things that happen bad weeks, and we're kind of like, crap. And we do lose sight, for sure, right? Like, because it's, it's, you know, like, we're all guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. Uh, what, what, what sometimes I'll forget, like anybody else, I'll forget that everything I have today in my life, at one point, I wished for, right? Mm. You know, and there's, there's that weird human drive always wanting more still, right? And like, oh, I, I could still achieve this, this, you know, this metric. I can still achieve this goal, this milestone. And I have to bring myself back. I, I really do. Um, especially if, if it's a tough day or tough week. I'm like, crap, like, like I'm second guessing myself. That imposter syndrome kicks in. Like, crap, can I do this? Well, I wish I could say yes. I, I think my parents, but I don't, right? Because at this point, <clears throat> it's so far removed, right? that I, I don't think about as much anymore. But what I've done over time, you know, is, um, you know, one thing my parents instilled early on was a lot of self-education. And early on, when I first started in sales, one of the first books I read that really impacted me the most was Tony Robbins, Awaken the Giant Within. He, right, one of my favorites, right? And yeah. he says in there, if you, if you don't like the answer, ask a better question, right? And some of those questions I've learned in that time, that has helped me. So if I'm going through a tough day today, right? Like, that self-education for my parents has led to this. I'll, I'll be like, man, I, I'm second-guessing myself. I don't know if I can do this. Uh, I'm second-guessing myself. Why is this happening? You know, all those negative, automatic negative thoughts, those ants that crawl into your brain or starting to eat away my brain. I was like, okay, hold on. Let's stop for a second. What can I learn from this? What can be great about this? What can I take from this and learn from the, for the future? What can I do differently? to minimize or limit this risk of this happening again. And those are powerful questions really help me reframe my mind. Do I need to pause and think about it? Yes, it takes massive mindfulness and intentionality, right? It really does. <clears throat> and one thing that's really helped me with that as well is typically, like, I mean, every single night, I do a gratitude list, right? Mm -hmm. So before I go to bed, I'm like, what was great about today? So I write out, you know, three to five to 10 things every single day right? And by doing that, <clears throat> if it was a rough day, it is literally forcing me to think those questions through. <laughs> because yeah. I'm like, oh, this day sucked. <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what, what the hell happened today? Yeah. What am I grateful for? I'm not grateful for anything. This is a crappy day. Like, oh, blah, blah, blah. You know, your head starts going, you know, spiral. I'm like, oh, hold on. All right, freaking just, just chill out. Just chill out. Okay. Like, yeah. what was great? What could be great? What did you learn? What could you have done differently? 
And all these, these questions are so much better. And it leads to, well, actually, you know what? I'm grateful for this and this and this. Well, actually, and also this and also this. And also, you know what? I think to prevent this, I'm going to try this tomorrow. And hopefully that'll work better. And those mm. things help down the road, right? So I would say, I would, say I, would, I would wish it was my parents, but I tell you what, I give them credit because they helped drive the self-education piece, which has led to me uncovering someone like Tony Robbins, which has helped, helped teach me how to reframe my brain in a better way in those tough moments. Yeah. Can you, it's so funny because I have a very similar case of early in my sales career. You know, I'm a big Tony Robbins fan. I came across the book, uh, to, to Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill yeah. that completely kind of, you know, blew my brain up at, the, at that moment and kind of yep. changed the way I thought about everything. Can you bring me specifically to what it was like? It, it sounded like it was maybe your first or, or early on in your sales career when you found that book. Do you remember what you were going through, how you found it? Did someone give it to you? What was the, what was the kind of that flipping point for you? Yeah, great question, right? So, um, you know, it's, it's funny, right? So, by the time I was, you know, 21 and I was in my first uh, outside sales job, just brand new in a startup, there was no direction, there's no training, there's no development, like many people. <laughs> and like many people, I had a sales leader who had never done the job before successfully. And uh, it was also, a, this is before startups are cool. This is like 2007, so it was before startups are cool. <laughs> so, you know, it was like early startup world, right? And on top of that, there are also, um, uh, you know, like the, the recession was starting to hit. And I was, had been struggling and for weeks, um, hadn't closed a single deal. I was barely booking any appointments. I was struggling cold calling. I struggled. We did canvassing as well, door knocking. I struggled doing that. I mean, I was having literally, I was like the worst, I was the worst rep in the company. And I was like, oh my God, like, and before this, I've always had somewhat decent success and really, you know, whether it's school or whatever, I, I was able to, to work hard, persevere through. At this mm. point, I was second guessing myself like no other. I mean, and I remember like I went and I was getting, um, I went to, I went to the library. Well, first off, first off, first week I, I did, I struggled the first week talking to my girlfriend and she's like, well, Hey, listen, you do love reading books. Why don't you get some sales books? I'm like, Oh, of course that makes sense. I should go to some sales books. <laughs> yeah. Right. And at that time there wasn't as many prevalent like sales resources online. LinkedIn was still a resume type site. Like there wasn't people posting tips on YouTube. There wasn't anything. So I'm like, okay, I'll go to the library. I went to the library and I got every single sales book. And I started reading them voraciously. I mean, they were books, you know, Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar, Ogmandino, all the typical mm. sales books that everyone kind of reads. And um, I started going through them like crazy and for, for weeks in a row. And every single week I was going to the library getting as many new sales books as possible. And I was trying and trying and trying. And it was probably about six weeks in and uh, I was having like no success. I mean, I was like, Still hadn't closed a single deal. Like li literally, like mm. I was like second guessing myself, like like no other. And I and I remember like literally uh, going to um you know like I remember like literally like like going home like wondering like, what am I gonna do with myself like like how am I going to like thrive or even survive here right yeah. um like how am I gonna push through I could tell my boss was not happy with me I was second guessing myself I was insecure about it I had zero confidence. And I'll see myself like, on top of that. I'm like, I'm oh, crap. Like I'm gonna let my, let my parents down. Like I'm gonna let my parents mm -hmm. down. Like they, they wanted me to be an accountant, a lawyer, a doctor, or a pharmacist. I did none of those things. And I wanted <laughs> to go, go in sales. And now I suck at sales. I'm like, yeah, what am I going to do? Right. And on top of that, my girlfriend, now wife, now my girlfriend though, at the time I wanted to propose, but I couldn't afford a ring. I couldn't mm -hmm. afford a wedding. Like I was like, what am I? what am I going to do? Like, and if I was like, if I quit my, if I get fired or if I quit my job, the recession's hitting right now. Like unemployment is already creeping up pretty rapidly. Am I going to be able to find another job? So there's all these things that was happening. And what was really interesting is um, that's when I uncovered at the library, I just happened to stumble upon it, right? A Tony Robbins book. Like that's what it was. It was just like, happened, like, so I'm like it was like, it was close to the sales section. I'm like, Tony Robbins, whatever, you know, like, kind of look through. I'm like, well, you know, actually I kind of, it's kind of interesting actually. Started reading it and that literally, it like opened Pandora's box for me on personal mm -hmm. development, right? It, it literally was like, just, just uh, how to reprogram your mind and essentially hack your way into high performance. I became obsessive about it, right? 
Now, yeah. that specific question, uh, a specific quote of, you know, uh, if you don't like the answer, ask about a question, that came from that book, right? Yeah. And from there, I was able to eventually figure out how to sell uh, and start having success. And I became a top performer within a couple of weeks and was, it, was, it was on from there. But that's when my journey started. And I became obsessed with personal development. Tony Robbins, Napoleon Hill, right? I mean, like every single Brian Tracy book that was out there that's on, on personal development, every, every mm-hmm. single potential guru out there, Jack Canfield, all those guys, I was obsessively reading. Like it mm-hmm. became, I, I literally, um, I made personal development my full-time job. And that's what it was. I mean, I, I, I spent so I, I, I went to the library. I bought books. I bought courses. I, bought, I, joined sem, I went to seminars. I, I spent easily over, I probably spent like nine, 10 grand just that year, just that year on personal development, right? And what's been amazing is um, it, there's a classic Jim Rohn quote, right? Like when you work hard at your job, you make a living. But when you work hard on yourself, you make a fortune. And I have mm. found that to be 100% true. Right, like when I invest into my personal development, become the best version of myself, it it helped me become better at sales, human connection, and every part of the sales process. It made me better boyfriend, husband, brother, whatever. Like it was, it changed my life. That's why I'm so obsessive about personal development because I know the power of it and what it could do for other people. And I've seen it for me personally, and for all the people I've worked with as a result. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I felt the same way that, you know, the light switch kind of flipped uh, for me. And that was about five years ago when I was in my, uh, you know, the first few months of my first sales job post-college. Um, and it's just been game on ever since, you know, the bookshelves are filled, the podcasts are loaded. You know, I, I was fortunate enough to go to a Tony Robbins event a few years ago, which was amazing. One of the best things I've, you know, events I've ever been to. Um, so I'd, I'd love for you to make that maybe more tactical too. And maybe the answer is different from 2007 to now, but how much, how much time do you spend on, on those things or, or, or money? Like how do you budget that out versus, you know, all the other work that you do? Um, you know, do you have like an hour a day that you do something? Is it a few hours at night in the morning? You, you do it on the weekends. How, how do you manage your personal development along with, uh, you know, formerly a sales career and now, you know, being an entrepreneur? Yeah, great question, right? Uh, and I'm a firm believer, if you don't make it a habit, it's, it's simply not going to happen, right? So it has to be mm-hmm. a habit, has to be a routine. Um, there's a quote on my wall, this is actually my, my, my admin years ago, it's one of my favorite quotes, it says, uh, uh, you are uh, what you repeatedly do. Excellence is then not an act, but a habit. Mm-hmm. And and when it, when it goes to personal development, that's absolutely vital. And everyone's situation is a little bit different, okay? And I, and I 100% get that, right? But I believe every single day you should build in time to personal develop. Does that mean you may need to cut certain things? 100%. If you were watching Netflix for three hours a day, you probably have to cut that down, right? If you're just like playing video games all day, you probably have to cut it down. And really, it, it, it's up to each person, right? It's like, it's really how bad do you want to become the best version of yourself? And what are you willing to sacrifice to get there? And it's either going to be time or money. It's, it's simply that. So you have to really be willing to do that, right? And there's, there's a big difference between being committed versus interested. When you are interested, you only do things when you feel like it. When you are committed, you do things regardless of how you feel. That's true commitment right there, right? So, uh, and I show it's really important. So for me personally, I personally develop every single day. And it starts with my morning routine. That's just part of what I do, right? So even as part of my morning routine, I do a power 30-minute workout, okay? In that 30-minute workout, though, I'm listening to a book that's feeding my mind. That's really, really important, right? Like for me, so some people can listen to music, and I get that. I listen to, like right now, I'm listening to, um, uh, uh, it's, um, it's by Ja Jang, Ja Jang Rejection Proof, right? The recommendation from another sales leader, I freaking love it. It's a phenomenal book. Every salesperson, every person should read that book. Um, but I'm listening to that while I'm working out. And, and I, I'm getting fired up. I'm like, listen, I'm like, oh yeah, I freaking love that. This guy, he walked in, he like asked a Christian cream person to make him a, the Olympic rings out of donuts. I mean, that's freaking like, I'm, I'm getting fired up. I'm like, this is so awesome. So and it helps my workout, <laughs> right? But uh, I'm personally involved then, right? So that's really, really important, right? But there's other things too, which I believe is vitally important to part of your personal development. So for me, 
my routine in the morning also allows me to do other things as well, such as like, you know, affirmations, writing out my goals, you know, like meditation, visualization, all those things are part of my morning routine. So all that takes an hour and a half in the morning before I start my day. And I'm not saying everyone needs that. That's, that just works for me. When I first started doing that type of stuff, it was like five minutes. But I would say take a little bit, little bit of time each morning to self-develop. Maybe it's reading for five minutes, right? Make it simple. Start with like five minutes or maybe it's, hey, start with reading one paragraph, right? Because yeah. when you start with one paragraph, it's going to lead to two and three and more, right? So you start small and build up, right? And then um, at the end of the day, before I go to sleep, I also allot just 15 minutes of reading. Right. So I also read a hard copy book as well, just because it allows me to digest it in a different way. So um, I'm, I'm reading a, a Jim Quick's Limitless at night. So I read for 15 minutes. Right. And then I go to sleep. Well, I, do, I have some other things I do. I, I meditate. I do some goal review, et cetera. But those things all help as well. So uh, it's really about setting some time aside to do it. And everyone's a little bit different. So for me, when you look at my morning and evening routine, it's about two hours a day. That's part of my routine. Okay. Now, if I have recently, you know, um, joined a program or something or that, uh, that to make myself better. So for example, uh, on Monday, I joined a brand new program on personal branding, right? It's a $2,000 program. I, I didn't say I bought it immediately. Right. And I'm going through that right now. And um, right now I'm spending about an hour a day in addition to everything else to go through the modules and to execute on the modules. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's really, really important. So that's, that, for me, it's, it's important, right? Cause I know it's an investment in my time by me spending time to do right there. It will help me down the road to achieve whatever it's going to be. And that's, I think it's important for everyone. The, the mistakes that people make is when they're personal, they're working on personal development, they only consume, they don't execute. Yeah. Right. Um, you, you have to consume and execute. Right. So for example, like my morning routine, before it was like a, a five minute routine max. Now it's an hour and a half because as can, I've learned, can you walk me other through, people, can, can you walk yeah, me through in detail morning, what that 90 minute looks like? I love details. hundred percent. Okay. So uh, I wake up at 5am. Okay. Mm -hmm. I meet roll out of bed. I don't look at my, I don't look at like any notifications. Okay. That's really important because yep. it, it gets sucks you in, you get trapped. Right. So I go, I literally like, I just, I flip my iPhone, I unlock it and then I close this. So all those notifications are off. Right. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. I go, I brush my teeth. I change. Uh, I go downstairs. I get a large, actually this cup right here is pretty massive. I think it's like 32 ounces, maybe 24 ounces, uh, 24 ounces. And, um, I fill it with uh, ice water and, and uh, a teaspoon of apple cider vinegar. Okay. Mix it all up. It's very refreshing. Yeah. It's invigorating. It's good for, you know, the pH levels. So then I go uh, and I do my power 30 minute workout. Every single workout is already planned out. It's between 360 to 400 repetitions of a targeted muscle group. I hammer through that. I listen to whatever audiobook or sometimes it's a podcast, right? Uh, whatever I'm, I'm focused on, right? Uh, I go through that. I then shower. I change again. Boom. I go downstairs, right? And then I go and I write out my one, three, and five year goals. All right. So it's really important. I write them all out. Okay. The mistake I made before was I, I would have goals and look at them once a year, right? At best. So uh, I review them every single day. So one, three, and five year goals. I review that for five minutes. I'm writing it all out. Then from there, I go through affirmations for five minutes. So affirmations that make me feel confident, right? And they can be different for everyone, right? Like, you know, for me, it's like, it's very, very simple. You know, it's like, you know, I, I'm a confident entrepreneur. I'm a successful entrepreneur. You know, whatever I want to say, it doesn't really matter. Like you have your own to make you feel really good, right? Yep. Um, I, I go through my affirmations and then I go through uh, uh, 10 minutes of visualization. And that's really, really important for me. So the visualization is, and here's what it is. It's going to sound a little bit nuts, but this, it works for me. So, um, Imagine if you had achieved every single one of your one-year goals, okay? One year from today, if you achieve every single one of your one-year goals. And then if you were to narrate out exactly one year from now, when you woke up, exactly what happens the entire day, how you feel, what if someone was to narrate your day, like a movie, right? Yeah. How they describe it. It's like, mine's like, like I wake up at 5 a.m., refreshed and full of energy. I, I hop right out of bed. I immediately change real quick, head downstairs. I'm excited. I, I pump out an incredible workout. I mean, I, like, I feel incredible. I'm literally describing how I feel. And I'm describing mm -hmm. things that are happening, right? And 
uh, it's a vivid detail as, as if I had already achieved all my one year goals, all in past tense. All right. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it's all written out. And I, I actually recorded it on my phone. I narrated it on my, mm-hmm. on my phone to myself and save it as a recording. So in that 10 minutes, I close my eyes, I plug in my AirPods and I listen to myself while visualizing my one year Whoa. day. All right. So I'm future pacing myself into the future. Right. And as I go through the visual, and, I, and I, it's about 10 minutes when I, when I, as I visualize through that day. Right. Then after that, after that day is done, I visualize my upcoming day in present time, like today, what's going to happen today. Mm-hmm. And I visualize myself walking through and executing to the level I expect and want of myself through the whole day, start mm-hmm. to finish. Right. And then I snap out of it and boom, I get right to work. Right. Wow. So it's about an hour and a half for all of that. But what I'm doing is you notice there's some key things there. I'm, I'm priming myself mentally physically, emotionally, and spiritually. This allows me to be my peak performer. Like I can tell when I have not done the routine. I can tell, yeah. right? I can tell. And I do that pretty much every, not, not every day is perfect, but like pretty much every single morning, I always do that, right? And it's amazing how much better I feel because as you and I know, Tom, once your day starts, who knows what's going to happen? Things <laughs> like, right. can go yeah. sideways, you know, like, I mean, like, I had a bunch of, you know, like weird stuff happened yesterday. I'm like, okay, it is what it is. But you know what? I at least captured my morning and I feel good about that. Yeah. I captured my evening routine as well because you control, I control, I control the start and the end. In between, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> I do yeah. my best. Whatever happens, happens. So, right. you know, that's, that's well, the routine right there. Well, it's a big part of, of, you know, the mantra of controlling what you can control, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, being able to tackle the parts of the day before you know, the client calls you and cancels on you or your boss is yelling at you or, you know, all the different things to your point that that can happen both good or bad throughout the day and, and trying right. to own that. So I think for anyone listening to this, I, I can guarantee you, even if you are, you know, I'm, I love morning routines and I, I love all the stuff you're talking about. There was a few things there that were foreign to me. Um, so I'm positive that anyone listening to this, there's at least some part of, of what Marcus just broke down that either you haven't done before you don't do consistently, uh, maybe you've never even heard of before. So uh, maybe go back, listen to that, write down a few things, maybe start step by step and, and probably not try to do all of those 90 right. minutes tomorrow, but, right. but start step by step. Um, so I love that. I, and now I, I'd love to pivot a little bit. Um, you know, I love, I mean, I could talk about mindset until, you know, bedtime tonight, like literally all day, right. but I want to make it a little more tactical too, for some of the sales folks that are listening. Um, you know, I saw on your, on your LinkedIn that you said um, during your sales career, there was 10, I don't know if they were consecutive years, but 10 years uh, that you got 10 different promotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, as, as salespeople, oftentimes we're ambitious. We're looking for the next goal. We, we want bigger accounts to work on, or we want to become a manager or we want to become a director or VP of sales or whatever it might be. So uh, outside of just, you know, selling a lot of stuff. Can you maybe walk through some tactical things of, of how you yeah. went about that? Because in, in my experience, you know, there's a there's so much more to, to moving up through a company uh, than just hitting your number, right? Oh, so there's yeah. there's some political games that that maybe oh, yeah. need to be played. There's internal relationships that need to be had. There's all these different things. So maybe you could walk us through your experience there. Yeah, absolutely, right. And uh, the thing is, I feel incredibly fortunate to have done that, right? Um, but what's also really important to understand is it wasn't an accident. Every single move is calculated, strategic, and very, very intentional, right? Um, success leaves clues. And, you know, I think the first thing to understand is simply this. Um, great sales results are the minimum expectation, right? That's a minimum expectation to get promoted. I mean, that's just, that's just it. That, that basically, yeah. being great at selling and having those results merely means you get a chance to be looked at for the next role. That's really it. Right. Like, because if you're a real jerk face, like no one likes you, <laughs> right? Like yeah. they don't care how much you're selling if you are a jerk. Right. So uh, it's important. So I think understand that like, number one, your results are the minimum expectation to at least get an opportunity to get looked at for a role, whether it's to be interviewed or selected. That's the first thing. Okay. Now, very tactically, this is the approach that should be taken. Number one, the first thing I do outside of having great results, let's just assume that. Okay. Uh, number one, 
take a look at yourself and what role do you want to be in three to five years down the road? This is the one of the things that most people don't, they kind of like, oh, I think I might want to do, just do a little bit of soul searching, do some benchmarking, reach out to some people in roles that potentially you want to go into, but don't look at just your next role, but what role beyond that? And the reason I say that is at the end of the day, the skills that made you great at selling may or may not apply to the next level role that you're in, right? So for example, if you are a really great SDR, that means you're probably pretty good at writing copy, prospecting on the phones. That's great. Now, does that mean you're great at closing? Not necessarily. You now need different skills as an AE, right? You need different skills to run a complex sales process, navigating a complex, you know, uh, you know, hot mess of a jungle of decision makers to get to that close, right? If you want to be a sales leader, very different skills, leading people, hiring, training, and managing for peak performance. Very different skill set, right? If you are a director, managing managers, very different, right? And so on. So uh, understand what role do you want to be in? One, two, if not three roles down the road. And it doesn't have to be linear, but at least have an idea, okay? And that's the first step. Have an idea about it. And then from there, what you want to do, I would recommend is set up informational coffee chats or whatever it's going to be to learn more about those roles with people that are already in those roles, right? And what you really want to know are, hey, what skills do you need to learn before you get in that role? How do you best position yourself to get in, get those type of roles, right? So think about that. Like how many reps do you think are actually going to call up their sales manager or sales director and say, hey, listen, eventually down the road when I earn an opportunity, I'll love to be in your job. But I'd love to learn more about your role and what sets you up for success. What did you wish you knew, wish you had known before you got in that role? Most aren't going to do that, okay? So now you're already looking ahead, right? And now here's a couple of key things right here. Just by doing that, you're already standing out. Because now you're showing you have ambition and goals to do greatness. That's really important for many leaders. Like I've led teams for years. And one of the things I saw is very, is very uncommon for someone to have that type of ambition. Like they might kind of like, oh yeah, I kind of want to promote it. But they weren't like intentional about it, right? You, you couldn't see in their actions, right? So by you reaching actually taking action, you're already ahead. Uncover what those skills that you need to develop is really key. And then from there, if you can work with them to build a plan, if it's your, lead, if it's your sales leader, work with them to build a plan to, to develop those skills, even better. If that's not part, if they're not willing to do that, then you take upon yourself to develop those skills. Like, how can you develop those skills right now? And I'm not just saying, taking, like, I'm not saying like, like taking courses or certifications, but how can you start using some of those skills right now? So, say, for example, if you are an SDR and you want to become a manager, awesome. Love that. Love that, tra that transition. And maybe you're not sure, but you have an idea. Cool. Well, how can you start leading and influencing your peers? How can you help them? For example, it might be like, you know what? Like if I'm having success on the phones, I'm going to, you know, I could tell, you know, you know, Marcus is struggling over here. I'm going to, I'm going to call Marcus up and just ask him if I can help him. Coach him on the side, help him celebrate his wins. And when he's having success, I'm going to make sure he gets recognized. Hey, boss, want to give you a quick heads up? Like, you know, like, you know, Marcus, you know, today it's only 9 a.m. He's already booked three appointments. Absolutely killer. Marcus, great job on, you know, executing on the objection handling we discussed this morning. Boom. Marcus feels great. Boss is super happy now and has visibility that you are helping guide other people. You all look good now, right? Yeah. Now you're building your brand and you get to do it consistently over time right? And those type of things <clears throat> are so vital, right? And that's just like, that's showing the type of skill sets, right? And then the next thing I'll do as well, in addition to that, is start doing more than your job, right? Well, first of all, you have to do every part of your job is required. So even the things that you hate, like let's just say you hate CRM, put your notes in CRM, okay? <laughs> Don't put your notes in. <laughs> like if you want to yeah. be, the, if you want to be the, the SDR manager, I'm sorry to say you can have to do things you don't like. So Put the notes and don't give them any reason to bring you down in the interview process of not hiring you, okay, <laughs> or promoting yeah. you in that role. So do the things you don't want to do and do the, th do the things that once you are the leader that your team is not going to say, hey, you didn't do that, right? You don't want that. So do those things as well. But then do more and help influence up to show, number one, you have other skills that can pay the bills. But number two, that you are creative and on the forefront.
So here's a really good example. Let's just say I'm an SDR and I'm crushing it on the phones. And what I have uncovered is I have a four-step sequence on the phones for objection handling that crushes every single objection, right? Beautiful. And it's working so well for you. So you say, hey, boss, listen, I'm, I've been testing this new sequence of objection handling. I've been running that for four weeks. I literally, when I have 10 decision, decision makers that answer, I will book all 10 because of the sequence. Can I run a training with a team this coming week and teach them the sequence? I think your boss is going to say yes. Right? Like, yeah. And then you go and you do it. Right. And then when they start having success, it builds your brand. You start becoming the go-to and you do consistently. You don't just do once, you do consistently. And over time, you become known as that person who's supposed to be in that role. So I'll give you a real good example, right? So I remember um, at my last company I was with, um, I was one of the fastest promotions to a sales manager in the company's history. The company's a real old school company. They've been around for years. Most people have to sell for three to five years to become a sales leader. Uh, I was really fortunate. I did it in nine months. And I was running this team and it was, one, it was the worst team in the company. And uh, I, I uncovered like for sure there are people dogging me. They're like, oh, why is this guy getting promoted? Blah, blah, blah. So there's a lot of haters for sure. I'm like, I get it. It's nature of the beast, whatever. So I mean, as I was turning the team around, I would consistently provide value for other leaders in my market and region. So as I was doing things that were having success, I would say like, for example, like I, I, I run a tight routine, right? And, uh, and, and we started having a lot of, a lot of success from like, I mean, we were, we went from understaffed and told never hit a number to crushing our number overstaffed properly. We were developing like superstars and my boss is like, I'll, I'm not really sure how you're, how you're doing this. Can you, can you map out what your routine looks like? I'm like, absolutely. So I, I mapped out exactly what I did from when I woke up to when I went to bed, 5 a.m., 10 p.m. every day, right? <laughs> I mapped down to a grid and I showed him like, I'm like, but here's how the, the strategy behind it. I explained all of it. Right. He's like, Holy crap. I'm like, I'm like, would you like me to train everyone else? Right. He's like, please, please do. So at the next leadership meeting, I trained everyone on routine. Right. And then from there, every single time we had a leadership meeting, I was constantly the guy doing training on different things. Hey, here's how you coach someone from low to high performance. Here's how you neutralize the situation. Here's how you teach this. Here's how you do this. How, here's how you analyze the income statement to drive performance and results here. And start teaching all these things that even though a year and a half prior, they were dogging me. Now they're like, wow, this guy actually is resourceful. He's helpful. He wants to help everyone else out. He's giving selflessly. Like people would ask me, like, like hey, how did you, I'll just tell them. Like, because most people are kind of trying to hold their secrets. I'll say, here's how I do it. Here's what to say. Here's how you, and people are just like, wow. And over time, when, when the next director role opened up, most people take eight to 10 years in that company to get to a director level role. I did in four and a half years, not because I was any better. I mean, I was decent at my job, but because I was built, I built such a strong brand, mm -hmm. such a strong brand around me of doing all those things. Cause I was influencing up. I, I was showing skills I, that they, they wanted to see in a director, right? I was doing all these things that helped. And that's where, for those out there, if you want to get promoted, you cannot sit and wait back and hope your results get there. The results are the minimum expectation, but you need to look ahead, develop your skills for the future role, and constantly be building your brand around the future roles and marketing yourself in a really good way that's not sleazy by providing massive value to everyone around you. And when you do that consistently, you will eventually get promoted. You'll, you'll have opportunities to tap you on the shoulder. You'll have other things going to happen as a result, and you'll be one of the first people on top of mind to get the next role as a result. And do you recommend as part of that, you know, let's, let's stick with the example. I'm an SDR. I want to be an SDR manager. Um, you're building your brand around that. You're doing your job well. You're doing other jobs. You're doing the whole thing that you just outlined. Do you, do you recommend them going to their current manager and saying, I, you know, here's, here's the list of the 12 things that I'm doing. Uh, you know, when there's an opportunity, I want that role. Or talk about, hey, I, you know, I want that role in the next 12 months. Um, like, do you, do you do you, uh, you know, think that folks should be that explicit about it and maybe set a timeline or is it more so you want to make it so obvious that when the opportunity is there, it should be you, that it's almost like you're, you don't even need to say it. Yeah. It should be, so it should be a combination of, of both. Right. Um, yeah. Know, I think the, the mistakes that people make is they're like, I'm going to do all these things and for sure. And they might get tapped for sure. Right. Um, but if it's not clear what they want, it makes it really hard. Now, 
Uh, what you don't want to do is say, hey, boss, I want to get promoted in a year. I want your job. They might get a little weird about that, okay? <laughs> they yeah. might get a little weird. So you have, to be, you have to be really strategic with it, right? And it, it, the conversation has some – if they're not already having a conversation with you, because unfortunately many leaders are underdeveloped, right? Um, you need to bring the conversation to the forefront, but you do it in a really good way. And it might sound simple like this. It might be like, you know, um, if Tom, if you're my manager and I'm your SDR, I'll say, hey, Tom, um, w- would you be open to having, you know, like some meeting for you and I to talk about, you know, potentially, you know, my future? Uh, I, I love this company and I'll love to just map out together, uh, you know, a development plan so I can help get to my next level in my, in my career if you're open to it. Mm-hmm. Now, unless you have a really jerk face of a manager, like they're probably going to say, that sounds great. Because now you're showing you're, you're loyal, you want to be there, and you're going to work together. Right? And they may have other insights going to help you as well. Because um, what you don't want to do is you don't want to make them feel threatened. Especially, and I've seen that with some, if you have a really insecure manager, which that happens, and you are just a freaking superstar, you may scare your manager, right? Mm. If you're not careful, if you come off too strong, which I have made that mistake. Not saying I'm a superstar, yeah. but I made the mistake where I've come off, especially early in my career, and they're kind of like, Whoa, whoa, whoa! Time out, man! Like, just you just slow down, like, because they're yeah. they're, they're see it almost as a threat, right? Mm-hmm. So you just have to be really, really careful with that. And I, because I'm so gung ho, that's one thing I've always had to hold myself back from. That's that's a, definitely a weakness of mine. So I've always had to work on. So if you are really gung ho like me, just be cautious of how you approach that conversation. Yeah, that makes sense, and that's um, I think that's maybe the the downside sometimes of being super ambitious. I felt that too. You don't want to outshine the the master, so to speak. Yeah. Um, I want to. I, I know we're we're wrapping up soon. I want to take you quickly to uh, what I would. I am now donning as the selfish section, uh, where I ask a question specifically for you to help me sure. um, to make this selfish. So I'm starting a new role here in a few days uh, at a new company as an AE. So I'd love to hear one tip that you have, you know, first day, how do I make an impact in the first 30 days uh, in a new, new company, new role? Yeah. So uh, I think the, one of the first things I would do is I would make sure, uh, and this is, I'm going to say this, this will help you for building up your territory as well. Uh, but the mm-hmm. first thing I would do is I would go and uncover who are all the key department heads and leaders that are going to be uh, uh, impacted directly or indirectly by what you do. And mm-hmm. the reason that's really, really important is when you can understand uh, where your resources are, how you can best support them, but also they may shine a light on areas to hopefully avoid that could hurt them down the road. So for example, like you may uncover, okay, you know what, when you talk to us called accounts payable or something, right? Or accounts receivable, you know, like if you don't do a good job with the paperwork on, I don't know, billing, and bills don't go to the right place, they don't get paid, that impacts their job, et cetera. You may not even realize that because you never had to deal with that, right? Or maybe it's something so minor, or maybe it's uh, it's something with, you know, if depending on what you sell, maybe it's the, the production team or, you know, the installment team or whatever. If you're missing yeah. certain details on the front end, that can hurt you. So I'll say uncover all those key influence. And the reason that's really important is it'll help understand their pains. But also on top of that, they may, they'll, they'll be more open to helping you. So when you are in situations where you need someone to, you know, vouch for you or support you, most salespeople are not taking the effort to begin with. They're kind of like, oh, I'm the salesperson. You do, I sell the deals and you make it happen. Well, yeah. they hate that, right? They hate that. They're all really, really important. So take that time up front to build those relationships, get to know them, not just from a business perspective, but also personally as well. And when you do that, that will help you across the board from, securing more deals, getting more help. When you are in crunch time, end of quarter, and you know you need their help to push a deal through, yeah. they're going to be more open to helping you because you did it on the front end. But on top of that, the second part of that tip is keep doing that and maintain that relationship with them ongoing. What you don't want to mm-hmm. do is go in there, hey, hey, I'm Tom, Tom, nice to meet, nice to meet everyone. Okay, I'm out, see ya, right? Yeah, you want to be consistent with it and build that brand because they're going to help you. Uh, and I found um, it's one of those things where I think I think Arnold Schwarzenegger has a, has a great like uh, uh, speech where he says, "I'm not a self-made person. Nobody is. Everyone has had help, right? That's the essence." Mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer, especially when you are in sales. Yeah, for sure, you might be the one to close the deal, but so many people help support you on the back end to ensure 
customer success, which is going to lead to your happier clients. If you manage that account, cool. If not, it doesn't even matter. But at the end, they're a happier client. They're partnering with you. You're happy. Everyone wins when you know the network and how to use them to help support you, but while you support them as well. For sure. Yeah. I had a, I had a colleague that, you know, as a sales rep that she, um, you know, at the end of every quarter would buy pizzas for uh, like the contract scene because they would help her with the crunch time and get things and do the red lines and make that That's all right. super quick. And then when the end of month came next time, you know, she was always the one that got her contracts back first and they always helped her out. So that, that stuck out to me. So that's a great, that's great advice for anyone at yeah. any point really to, to make sure that you're understanding who those key department. And, and another thing too, just to point out, is like, this might be obvious. It might not be. Uh, is that, you know, sale, what's great about sales is that, you know, most likely you're getting paid commission on your deals. All these other supporting teams, they probably are, the, you know, the accounts payable team, the contracts team, customer success, you know, your product person, they, you know, some people might be, uh, but a lot of people, they don't, they don't get paid more for, you know, helping close a deal. So it's important right. to give them the recognition and, and love that way too. Yeah. And just to add to just one last piece too, right. Is um, when what's interesting, especially if they've been in the roles for a while, you'll see there's a, there's a lot of tribal knowledge that never got put into CRM. So there might be a, about accounts or deals that got lost about these unicorn accounts that you want to close and they, or they know somebody they it's It's amazing how many deals, my teams have been able to close, not because of their outbound efforts, but simply because someone in the business had some prior information that, that wasn't in sales. Like, oh, you know, like, you know, Johnny's been here for 30 years. He's seen these companies accounts come and go. In fact, he knows this person's contract's going to come up soon because we lost them five years ago. They're probably due to get back, get earned back now. You're like, oh, I thought wasn't in a CRM. <laughs> like, yeah. Now you have this tribal knowledge that you can get from mm. some of these people who, who've been around there for a while and they know things, whether it's about accounts or whatever, that can help you accelerate your learning curve to produce faster results. Yeah, I love it. Marcus Chan, it was, um, it was a pleasure getting to know you this morning and, and uncovering. I'm fired up. I'm ready to wake up tomorrow morning, get into the, the routine you <laughs> outlined. <laughs> Um, I love it. Where can people find you? Where can they connect with you? Um, what's what's top of mind for you right now, too? Awesome, man. So uh, you can find me on, on LinkedIn, super easy. It's just a um, guy with Speedos tagline. Of course, you can find me <laughs> on Facebook and Instagram as well. And uh, last simple, easy uh, place to go as well is I have a brand new free training. Just go to marcuschan.io forward slash webinar, marcuschan.io forward slash webinar. It's a free trend on how to sell more, earn more, regardless of years of experience. That's awesome. I can't believe we didn't get into the Speedos. We got too into the mindset. I wanted to bring it up, but you know, we were tackling <laughs> more important issues today, I guess. Next time. That's right. That'll, that, that'll, be, that'll be part two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, everyone go check out Marcus, add him on LinkedIn, have, start up a conversation and, and check out the training. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on, man. This is awesome. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure.